what if like you're just listening to the um, this episode and you're literally just going into an IVF cycle, is it okay to completely revamp your diet like in midstream of something? Hi, I'm Mary Wong. And I'm Dr. Tanya Wild. We're wellness experts, fertility strategists, and moms who overcame infertility infusing science and all things natural. We are on a mission to boost your mood, your bod, and your inner mama spirit as you navigate this thing called life. From fertility to pregnancy and mamahood through menopause. Think of us as your own personal fertility squad as you make, grow, birth, and raise your baby. Fasten your seatbelts, lean lean in, and get ready to learn and be encouraged. This is my Fertology Podcast. We're talking about endometriosis. And then we're also talking about like, there's a lot of people that don't know they have endometriosis or they have certain things going on. They may not have endometriosis, but still our conversation is going to be super relevant. So tell us more, like, let, let's start in with the endometriosis itself. And then let's explain why it's relevant for every woman. Sure. So endometriosis, we talked about it in our last episode with Dr. Sharma, and she went through diagnosing it from a Western perspective, actually not in our last episode, two episodes ago. And then last episodes, we talked about it from a TCM or traditional Chinese medicine uh, perspective. And it's relevant because many women have endometriosis, don't know it, and they may be going through the fertility world, getting treatments, and then uncover it with a diagnosis, either an ultrasound and see, oh, they have endometriomas, or perhaps it's, um, you know, there's, there's uh, struggles getting pregnant or staying pregnant, and uh, it can impact, you know, egg quality because of the inflammation um, our oxidative stress associated with it. So generally speaking, as humans on planet earth, we want to keep inflammation low. So it's relevant to everybody because we do in general, we want to keep inflammation low and we also want to keep oxidative stress low. So people might be like, what's oxidative stress? Yeah. And I would like to add in, and that now is actually relevant for men and women. So, you know how we always yeah. like talk about the women. Well, guess what? Men are not immune to inflammation. If anything, there's a lot of men walking around with inflammatory issues. And when we, when women go to the fertility clinic, there's just this giant focus on the woman. And it's like, uh, well, how about your guy? <laughs> yeah, right? no, absolutely. And metabolic syndrome is a big deal these days. Metabolic syndrome being where a person is developing prediabetes or symptoms of inflammation, high lipids, so high cholesterol, maybe their waist circumference is a little bit higher. Um, so condition that kind of can lead to diabetes. And so with that, we want to target inflammation, oxidative stress, which it would help endometriosis and um, any woman who's ovulating and even beyond, because we tend to get more oxidative stress and inflammation with age. Yes. The longer we live on earth. Yes. So- and I, I, if you don't mind me adding into, you know, when we look at oxidative stress and you look at it outside of your body and in terms of like machinery, if you look at a bicycle, if you look at a car, oxidative stress, what happens to the metal? Rust. Right. So I always equate it to, oh, it's like your own internal body rust. Yuck, right? Yes. No, that's actually a really good analogy. I will often say cut up an apple, apple, rub lemon on one side, and then leave that apple to sit. 
And what happens to the side that you don't rub lemon on? Rub lemon on. That's a tongue twister. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you see browns the other side, yes. right? Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. This is a total aside. Mm-hmm. I just, my daughter um, shared this secret and it's the most amazing thing. So you stick, a, a, like I'll cut um, apple slices. Yes. And then I'll stick it in a sealed container and it's not about rubbing the lemon even you just stick a wedge of lemon inside without oh. doing anything and it prevented it from browning oh, and when you awesome. eat it when you eat it it was like oh it's kind of like a little lemon aroma twinch of lemon. <laughs> yeah it was but without like excess no oh, it, it, it was so good and it's extra crispy and oh, it was it's thank you, tasted so fresh <laughs> yeah awesome. and nice. it's not like you know mm-hmm. i i now see like ikea or her school sometimes they'll give them sliced apples but it's in a package and it's got additives right so this is mm-hmm. a total natural way of doing it it's awesome it anyway that's Very my cool. aside Yes. No, wonderful aside. So with endometriosis, we know that it can be like, well, it is an inflammatory condition, which is why a lot of women will suffer from menstrual cramps. Did you have menstrual cramps when you were menstruating? No, no, not at all. That's amazing. Yeah. So I discovered because of menstrual cramps, I mentioned in a previous episode that I, you know, through, um, I didn't have endometriomas though. So I didn't have the most common area to have endometriosis, which is on your ovaries, uh, they discovered on my ligaments, my uterosacral ligaments, which is this uncomfortable internal exam. And they, they discovered it that way. So at wait, that wait, time, wait, wait. Though, so tell people oh, what the heck that is, right? Like, so they, you know. <laughs> so, oh, it's so not comfortable. What is so I actually that? had yeah. a resident do it too. So they insert gloved fingers into the vaginal canal and they go next to the cervix and they uh, take their fingers to check the the uterosacral ligaments and there's little nodules on there. And if there's no nodules, it's no endo. If there's nodules, it's endometriosis. It's very uncomfortable because you have to kind of go in deep to assess. <laughs> and I'm like, buddy's oh, watching. Hey. Okay, good thing it's a podcast because like, you're yes. literally like giving us a little Showing. show and tell. <laughs> not with her body though, guys. You know, no, we no. are like, <laughs> this is not an X-rated uh, yes. podcast. Yeah. So unfortunately there's no ultrasound that can do that. So, um, and I didn't, and you know, if you, if you want the gold standard, which is a laparoscopy, you actually have to do in little tiny incisions and they blow up the ab- abdomen with air. And I was like, Oh, I just don't want that. And then obviously now they don't do it without doing the surgery to remove. And I thought, you know what, the research shows that the surgery doesn't necessarily improve your chances of fertility and it could affect fertility. So I might at that point chose not to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point I wasn't even looking to make babies. I was actually dealing with uh, severe menstrual cycle pain. So, so if we want to just get back to that conversation about laparoscopy, mm-hmm. not lapros- laparoscopy, you guys yeah. just go check out uh, our interview with Dr. Sharma. Cause we went into it extensively. Mm-hmm. All right. So back to, so and you're chose- covering like if you even have it, cause some people think, Oh, I don't have it. And they want to know there are ways to discover, you know, beyond um, a, a laparoscopy, there's that receptiva test that we talked about. Yes, that's right. Episode. Yeah. Well, and but the, you know, at the end of the day, and in Chinese medicine, it's like, yes, it's a nice to have if you have a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. But really, we want to look at symptoms if you have any. And we treat right. that. And, you know, yes. what is the overarching issue that is going on with or without a diagnosis? It makes no difference. Like you, we treat anyway, despite that. 100%. Right? Yes. And the goal is, so I mean, and, and when... 
I was doing acupuncture and nutrition changes in clinic. I would see patients regularly for acupuncture as you do. And they would say the acupuncture made such a huge difference with their menstrual cramps. And we talked about that in our last episode, how it, it improves the movement of chi. Now through nutrition, there is a lot that you can do. And according to the literature, um, there is information on gluten being a, uh, like gluten removal, uh, as being helpful. So right. if women in, in studies, they've been studied to show that if you remove the gluten from their diet for at least eight months, there's a big difference, like 70% improvement. So there's kind of conflict in the, you know, conflicting messages in the literature though yes. about dairy and about gluten. So you know, yes. biased studies. So it's very confusing. So it's very important to individualize treatments. And okay. So can we just go take a deep dive into this? Because that's exactly what we need to talk and speak to, because this is, you know, important. It's one thing like going to a practitioner, but you're not going to do that 24 mm-hmm. seven. And so mm-hmm. it's really looking into your own lives and how are we directing women when they're having these issues? So it's, and that is that question. Do I do gluten-free? Do I not do gluten-free? Do I do 70, 20, 30? Is that enough? And, and so let, let's speak to this. Okay. Let's start with gluten and then we'll do the dairy. Is that good for you? Absolutely. Yeah. So, or generalize as well a little bit, because yeah. when a patient comes in and I look at their whole history and if they have inflammatory or irritable bowel, let's first say, for example, where they're alternating diarrhea and constipation, then I will, you know, with the endometriosis or other coexisting conditions, which often do occur like Hashimoto's thyroiditis or so non-digestive yes. thyroid, or they might be bloated the whole way through the menstrual cycle, not just have menstrual cramps. Sometimes I wonder, is that because they have endometriosis lesions around their bowel, or is it because in general endometriosis is an inflammatory condition, or is it that the nutrition is making the endo worse and, you know, just creating more inflammation because food can be thy medicine, you know? Um, yes, so, yes. So, so the gluten for specifically, um, I will often say if somebody comes in with irritable bowel and endometriosis, or if they've had a lot of struggles kind of with implantation, if they're going through fertility, for example, right. then I'll say, let's do the, the anti-inflammatory or hypoallergenic diet which is removing dairy and gluten and sugar, and then eating uh, whole grains that are gluten-free. So it's not just that you're going to kind of eat gluten-free, you know, products, because then your glycemic index goes up, right? A lot of Thank you. products, for example. So important. Right. Yeah. Like if you have like gluten-free white rice bread or white rice pasta, that's not good for you either. It's important to go to whole foods. So generally speaking, the Mediterranean diet um, tailored to different cultures or the concept of that healthy, happy plate, like half the plate whole, um, uh, sorry, half the plate, uh, vegetables and, mm-hmm. and, uh, dark green leafy type vegetables, and then a fist of healthy carbohydrates that would be in the, in this example, gluten-free, um, and, uh, you know, not just again, a gluten-free product, it would be sweet potatoes, carrots, yams, brown rice, quinoa, all the, the, the gluten-free grains, um, that so are naturally occurring. So let's be clear by that form. So yes. you're not necessarily having like a piece of rice bread instead you're eating brown rice, preferably over white rice, for example, right. as well. So then, important to add this in, because I have mm-hmm. to tell you, because as a, person shopping, it can be confusing because um, 
you know, marketing is really good out there. So when when you see, oh, this is great. This is a gluten-free product. So then surely that must be good for you. And and most of those kinds of products, literally products that have been um, processed, they're actually really high in glycemic index. They're just basically, they're like eating sugar. (laughs) Right, 100%. So it's always best to stay on the outside aisles, right? Where the fresh produce is, seafood and the meats. And then you've got, you know, the, uh, you can go to bulk burn for your grains or you can have fresh root vegetables and legumes or even the canned beans, to be honest, for the the people who don't have the time to soak the beans long enough because otherwise you can get very gassy if you don't cook the beans properly. And, uh, you know, yams and root vegetables, and there's so many different types of root vegetables. People often just have potatoes, but there's a variety and turnips and all the starchy veg, right? So the starchy vegetables, the legumes, the whole grains that are gluten-free, that's like a fist on your plate, half the plate, you know, fresh vegetables. Um, and if you have, uh, issues with eating raw vegetables, because let's say, for example, you get a lot of loose stool and in Chinese medicine, we're trying to also like kind of warm up your, like give you cooked foods, right? Rather than cold raw, um, we, we would just suggest cooked vegetables. And it could be, this plate could be in a form of a soup or a stew. It's just the visual is important to have half vegetables, a fist of healthy carbohydrates, a palm of protein, and then a thumb of fat. So it's well-balanced. So you feel full from every single type of food rather than just, you know, rice and, and meat or, you know, uh, pasta and spaghetti sauce. It's well-balanced. and or, Yes. And then the op- oppositely, there's a lot of people that will have zero carbs and they yeah. think, right. And then no, not mm-hmm. enough fats either. And it's like, no balance means, you know, you take bits of everything and, and, you know, you want to be able to do it, I think over the long term. So it's literally not just in the period of, oh, I want to stop my periods from hurting or, oh, because I'm trying to have a baby. Really, it's about right. something that you assimilate into your life as part of your lifestyle. And um, I always say, like, when it's coming to uh, uh, talking about your whole overarching lifestyle, it's not to be like 100% necessarily with it. There are going to be times where, for whatever reason, you're going to be in a place where you have no choice. <laughs> and, sure. Right. So mm-hmm. you can have, you can stay away from, but it's hard to avoid it. A hundred percent. A hundred percent is very challenging. However, when we are trying to decide whether or not a food is troubling somebody, we will often say, okay, take it out completely for a month to three months to, and then reintroduce foods one at a time. Yes. So for take, taking away, for example, dairy and gluten and sugar and processed foods. Um, And then reintroducing, we get to see at the third menstrual cycle, what kind of impact it has. Cause just as it takes, you know, about three months to improve egg quality for women and sperm quality for men, because it's a three month process, you know, that impacts that menstrual cycle on the third month. And then in general, like you're saying in later life, like when you're, maybe you're not trying to have children, um, at this point, you're you're trying to have healthy egg quality for healthy hormones because your hormones come from your eggs and your sperm. So it's really important to keep oxidative stress low so that you you know produce healthy hormones. And then later, later, so through perimenopause, menopause, let's say for example, or postmenopause, we're not 
necessarily, well, I mean, we still make hormones from uh, our, our eggs, but they're quiet and there's very low levels, right? Mm-hmm. So from our ovaries, I should say. So, and we're not ovulating anymore, but the oxidative stress, we still want to keep it low. We want to keep inflammation low. So if you had irritable bowel at, you know, in post-menopause, taking out foods that could be inflammatory and reintroducing it to determine what foods are bothering you is really helpful. Like I've had patients, you know, with, for example, conditions that sometimes are coexisting with endometriosis, as I mentioned earlier, like thyroiditis or rheumatoid arthritis, for example, and they take out the inflammatory foods and they feel so much better, so much better energy. Sometimes it's it's literally shifting to get the balanced plate and they discover, you know what, I'm actually okay with gluten. Right. It's more that I was eating processed foods and my sugar content was yes. high in my diet. So it's very variable. Some people really literally do have a big gluten sensitivity. And let's be specific about that too, because you can have gluten intolerance, which means you have celiac disease and your immune system is attacking gluten and then attacking your bowel, like auto attacking then it shortens the villi and then you don't have good absorption. You can't absorb iron, you can't absorb vitamin B12 and you often get diarrhea. But I've had patients with, for example, cystic acne, no symptoms in their gut. And we take out, we test them for celiac disease and they're positive. And then we take out gluten and then their skin clears up. It's quite amazing. So interesting. Yes. Yeah. Cause like really the skin is an extension of our insides, you know, like our. Yes. And, but that's, that's exactly why I say, you know, we don't just necessarily want to go by diagnoses because your right. body gives you signals. So for that person, it was the acne that is saying, hello, pay attention and yes. let's see what's, you know, causing this distress and, and going and um, exploring the root cause. And when we get rid of that, then that is so super helpful, right? Yeah, so no, for sure. So exactly. Yeah, you're right. It, I mean, we don't want to be defined by our diagnoses. Um, once we get one, tests sometimes help to understand what's going on. Yes, so, yes. So I that agree. we can kind of target and have a little bit of an easier time. So for example, if you did have endometriosis, it doesn't end at looking at, you know, oxidative stress, reducing that and inflammation. We also want to look at the estrogen progesterone balance and it's often an estrogen dominant condition. So we would kind of try and balance that out. So through nutrition, perhaps improving your body mass index, I know we're trying to do, you know, look more at body positivity and love our bodies, no matter where we are. Uh, it does have a big impact when you have estrogen dominance, however, to have a healthy body mass index right. and a healthy fat percentage. So one of the targets would be to drop weight, to lower the chances of having estrogen store, stored up in the fat cells. And then there's less of that estrogen kind of uh, affecting the inflammation, you know, balancing it out. So that's one thing you can do. And then you can also, you know, even use progesterone creams during the menstrual cycle, the second half. Um, and, and, uh, if someone's progesterone resistant, cause some women with endometriosis, endometriosis are, that's not a good treatment, but you would find out pretty quickly. Cause you would, you know, within three months, you'd be able to determine if they were responsive to that, but it's not just a one fix all type treatment. I mean, the birth control pill works because really, really you're shutting down. Yes. Yes. It's easy. Right? So, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, it's wonderful. And, and we often expect immediate results in, in, uh, in our uh, life, because it, with conventional medicine, they are very effective with the treatments. However, sure. there are lots of side effects that come 
with birth control pill, for example, you know, mood swings because of the B deficiency that often uh, occurs and B vitamins are really important for tryptophan and serotonin production, which are happy, which is our happy mood molecules, right? And um, you can get weight gain, uh, you know, uh, and then of course, you're not really dealing with the underlying issue. Um, what kind of symptoms do you see, like our side effects do you see with the birth control pill? Um. Oh, I actually had a patient recently, sorry to interrupt you, <laughs> okay. where, where she was on the birth control pill for 15 years and then her lining was thin. So uh, doctors often don't recognize that as, as a, you know, a complication, but your uterus lining can become thin and that can make fertility challenging for, for uh, implantation. So that's another reason well, you want to limit the five yes. year consumption of birth control. And in Chinese medicine, we say that it actually is drawing out your energy, right? So mm -hmm. it can it can uh, consume your yin, the female nurturing energy, which can can be equated to that thin uterine lining, right? And and it can also cause stagnation. So there's because there's no movement, right? It, basically, you're you're making your um, reproductive organs be asleep the whole time, and when you get your period. Um, it's a false sense of um, it's like normal, but really you're not ovulating. Everything's shut down. So nothing is working. Right. right. When the pill first came out, I forget what year, they initially made the pill where there's no bleeds and people were frightful by that. So then they said, you know what, let's allow women to bleed and then they'll feel better about it. But the point is not to get people to ovulate. Right. So, mm. there's, uh, so it does nothing for your actual that natural cycle, the natural rhythm. So for some women, when they get off the pill after a long time, it's, their cycles don't resume for a very long time. Like myself included, it took me two years to get you're a cycle the, back. You're on the pill, yeah. I was on the pill. And, um, and when I decided, I thought, I don't think I quite like this. So when you're asking about certain uh, symptoms, yeah, I certainly was highly bloated and I had this voracious hunger all the time. Me too. Mm. I gained like 30 pounds. I was also freshman. Well, they say 15, but mine was 30. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, um, and I get that it's a very easy go-to thing and it works if you're having menstrual oh, cramps. Of course. I, mean, I used to be like cold chills on the floor, vomiting with my period. So thank goodness for the pill because yeah. it got me through university. Right. I didn't ovulate through university. It was wonderful. Um, <laughs> however, when I was finished university and went to naturopathic medical school, I, I was like, you know what? I'm on this, I've been on this pill for five years. I took it for acne and irregular menstrual cycles and painful periods. But what am I on this for at this point? Yes. Like, why am I doing this? Right. So I came off with the help of my intern at the time and my acne came back with a vengeance, but I did drop mm. a bunch of weight, which was wonderful. And then I got it all kind of, you know, recognized that. And actually at that time, I did not have a diagnosis at all yet. Right. Because the doctor didn't give me a diagnosis. She just said, take the pill. So I had right. no idea what was going on. And they treated me very well in, in, in naturopathic medical school without a diagnosis. My skin improved my, through a exactly. better nutrition, like you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, yes. So there's lots of things that you can do. There's no shortage of things that you can do at home. Right. And then with the help of someone like Dr. Tanya as a naturopathic doctor, TCM practitioner like myself or um, 
all of our associates at Ally who are awesome. And, you know, Chinese herbal medicine is really great with that about hormonal balancing as well and dealing with all the symptomatology and, you know, really treating, going through the root cause. So there's a saying in Chinese medicine, at least through one of my um, mentors, uh, Dr. David Bray in, in Toronto. And he's, um, he says, you know, one plus one equals four, meaning, you know, you have one type of med- like acupuncture plus herbal yeah. medicine and it's like exponential mm, in effect. Yeah. So, and I love that, right? One plus one is four. It's not two. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> that's so funny. basically anything that you do will just amplify your results and right. it just requires consistency over time. That's the key. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And my so favorite, we- my favorite herbs or, or I should say supplements that I love for endometriosis are pycnogenol because I find that really helps with the pain. Right. And then I also really like N-acetylcysteine. I started using it when I read a small, but still uh, double blind placebo controlled study of this group of women who are on Lupron, a Lupron derivative. So Lupron is one of those medications that kind of shuts down um, the, you know, follicle stimulating hormone in your brain. So you're not, you know, ovulating and so different type of mechanism to shut down the ovulation. So you're not producing the estrogen, which means, oh, wait, 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 before Mm -hmm. you compare it to something else. And we did Mm -hmm. another talk with, um, Dr. Ari Baratz about how women like, you know, taking fertility drugs. Oh my gosh, could I go into menopause? Well, on is one of the drugs that people worry about, but it's really, as Dr. Baratz says, it's like a medically induced menopause, which is, uh, temporary menstrual events. pause. Yeah. Yes. And menstrual so it puts pause, you into yes. a menstrual pause yes. and they compared it to N-acetylcysteine, which is a supplement that if you were overdosing on Tylenol, you'd go to the hospital and they would give to that to you through IV because it regenerates your glutathione. Um, and glutathione helps you bind up Tylenol and eliminate it and other wastes and toxins and, you know, chemicals. And it happens to be a really good antioxidant. So you don't need to rub a lemon on your ovaries as you take N-acetylcysteine, <laughs> oh. right? And, and apparently it can help to reduce the lesions and the pain. So like the re- reduce the, the growth of the lesion. So there's equal outcome. I thought that was amazing. And I was disappointed they didn't really uh, like continue to study it because there needs to be multiple studies and then a yeah. review of those, like a meta-analysis yeah. of those randomized control uh, trials in order to have enough weight on it to be a treatment um, option that's you know mainstream, but still really interesting. And I find my patients benefit from it and it improves, you know, egg quality by reducing the oxidative stress and as well as obviously the symptom outcome. So what I would like to add, and this is the disclaimer version, right? Yes. Because you got to know when you're listening to or watching this, that whatever we say, the supplements that yeah. we're at, speaking about, you don't just haphazardly take it. No. And it's no. best to actually be gui- under the guide of, you know, a naturopathic um, doctor or someone that actually is well-versed in this <laughs> rather than yes, haphazardly. I like to share the research behind the natural medicines that exist for different yeah. conditions. Cause it's exciting that they're actually studying them. It doesn't mean that we all go on every single one that we mention. It's very important, 100%. very individualized yes, yes. and customized yes. so that you don't have a health food store in your home. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And a lot of people do. Right. Yeah. Where you uh, just yeah. don't take it. It's really important to follow through. If you have a lot of bottles in your home, it's time to wipe out your cupboard and start fresh and keep it simple. And then, so I have a question, have a question. So the NAC, a lot of women will take it. Do you keep taking it when you get pregnant? 
You can up to 12 weeks safely. Okay. They actually have done, uh, you know, there's, there was a small, another small study that said that it actually reduced the chances of miscarriage. However, I think that it has to do more with like the background reason of why you're, you know, when you're taking it in the first place, like it just improves egg quality, but not because it actually, right. anything really can reduce the chances of miscarriage. I don't believe so. So the yeah. the bottom line is that it can be safe, safe during pregnancy. Yes. And would you go on the same dose or would you lower the dose? No, you can stay on the same dose okay. until because I mean, people it's individualized. But it's, it seems, yeah, no, there's no fear around that. Yeah. There's awesome. certain things like, for example, berberines that you maybe you're taking because you have polycystic ovary syndrome and it's really good for blood sugars. And maybe that, I mean, that's definitely something you would stop. The cool thing is, is that if you're on, let's say vitamins or supplements, you can, the placenta doesn't really develop until eight weeks. So pretty mm-hmm. much as soon as you get that first positive test, that's the time when you would, you know, stop uh, taking anything that the doctor tells you or naturopathic doctor tells you to, you know, stop taking at four weeks pregnancy, which really means you've been pregnant for two weeks and, and there's no, um, you know, it's not going to increase your no miscarriage, no risk. Like it's not getting to the, the uh, embryo. Okay. So we need to close this up, but before yes. we do, I want to have, I have uh, one last question because we're talking about changing diet and stuff. What if like you're just listening to the, um, this episode and you're literally just going into an IVF cycle, is it okay to completely revamp your diet like in midstream of something? I think it's always best to get the advice of a doctor at that point. It's better to be consistent, not too many drastic changes because if, unless you're guided through, I think if there's no harm though, to when you're going through pregnancy to say, I'm going to eat fruits and vegetables and foods in their whole form, right? Like yeah. you can't ever yeah. go wrong with having a balanced plate and eating healthy foods. <laughs> if you can. Probably, right. If you, <laughs> if can. you can, because, first because if you're pregnant, women. you might be throwing up and <laughs> wanting carbs only. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the ideal. And then Pure it's like, burgers. okay, yes. what can I manage today? Uh, yes, 100%. So if you try to catch those first six to eight weeks <laughs> pre-nausea, but the funny thing is that's a whole other episode, but yes. you, know, you, just, you have to eat in, yes. in order to not get yes. nausea. It's such a funny thing. It's like, yeah. I'm nauseous, so you don't want to eat, but you eat and then the nausea goes away. So eating healthy is uh, definitely beneficial. Get advice though, for sure. Thank you. That is a really, um, in, that's really great advice because, yeah. And, and you know what, we will totally do an episode on like, oh my gosh, like I just got pregnant. Now what? Because you know, so many women have gone through like a miscarriage or, or never have been pregnant at all. And then once they get pregnant, it's not like everything is like, oh, now I can chill. It's, oh my gosh, now I have to make sure that it keeps going. And I may have even more anxiety, right? The anxiety never stops. So, you know, we need, we, 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 we want to cover all these things to mitigate the stress and, and the anxiety that's involved with all that. And dairy, do we want to cover that? Really <gasps> yes. Oh my so, gosh. So, so yes. dairy for some is completely fine. I'll often say, you know, cut milk, leave in cheese and yogurt. However, a lot of people are reactive to dairy. So in those people for sure, take it out. The research says for endometriosis, dairy is fine, except for butter. 
So my usual recommendation that is if somebody is, you know, safe or they're fine eating dairy, it doesn't impact them. They don't notice more inflammation, perhaps in their joints, or they're not bloated. They're not getting diarrhea. They would have maybe a low fat cheese and yogurt to avoid the saturated fats, which can trigger more inflammation. Um, so it's very individualized. Uh, research says it's fine, except for butter. But the bottom line is, you got to decide with somebody what works best for you or challenge yourself, take it out for three months or a month, and reintroduce it and see how it impacts you. Right. And then when you have it, what is low fat cheese? Is it actually, oh, I look on the packages and it says low fat cheese or can right. we guide them more through, is it sheep cheese? Is it goat cheese? You know, what, what, what do oh, you yes, recommend? That's a good question. Yeah. So, so sheep and goat cheese are actually considered hypoallergenic in terms of the protein. So there's, uh, casein is the protein in uh, one of the proteins. So there's actually two proteins. Maybe we should do a whole episode. Exactly. I know. I know. <laughs> like there's so much. Oh. So which, which would it be? Um, so you would compare an easy way to do it is to compare your cheeses and see which ones have the lowest, but an example would be like a mozzarella or boncaccini, for example. Um, Sorry, they are, uh, they are better or not? They would be lower fat. So like, a, and you might want to look for lower fat. And if you're lactose intolerant, you're actually looking for a lactose free cheese as well. So there's sugar in dairy, the lactose, right? And milk. And then there's casein and whey. Casein uh, is the only remaining protein within cheese and yogurt. When milk gets fermented to yogurt and cheese, lactose gets removed by the bacteria, mostly. But there is sometimes a bit of trace of lactose in there when you read a container on yogurt. If there's no added sugar, but there's it says sugar on the label, that sugar is coming from the trace amounts of lactose. So you may need a lactose-free version if you're lactose intolerant. If you're lactose intolerant, you may indeed be also casein and whey intolerant. Yeah. So then you would take out dairy completely. Just stay it away from that. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then you can do like, if you love milk, then you can drink something like the oat milk, right? Oat so. milk or mm -hmm. almond milk. Yes. And omega threes are really important as well. Um, and trying to get omega three, omega six, six uh, balanced diet. So we, I mentioned saturated fats a lot. Omega threes help to reduce inflammation, saturated fats, increase inflammation. Omega threes <laughs> can be found in fish and hemp seeds, and ground flax seeds. So Again, another whole episode. Yeah, that's why I'm laughing. <laughs> generally speaking, it's really important to have a balanced diet and this can benefit everybody, not awesome. just those with endo. 